Agatha Christie wrote 66 detective novels over the course of her career as the top-selling fiction writer of all time, half of them featuring Hercule Poirot, the little Belgian with the perfectly egg-shaped head. Murder on the Orient Express is perhaps the most famous of these. With a cast of suspicious characters and a mysterious setting on a snowbound pre-war Yugoslavia train, it makes for a fun, breezy read. But is it a classic? Grab some creme de menthe, Poirot's favorite tipple, and listen to us decide while hopefully not killing too many of our little gray cells in the process. It's time for episode 31 of Toasting the Classics, Murder on the Orient Express. Welcome to the Toasting the Classics. Uh, this is the podcast where we take something, be it a book or a movie or whatever, and we... Uh, Talk about it. Drink a drink related to it. Uh, my name is Dave MacArthur. I am Clint Lanier. We and, are uh, uh, we 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 are not coming to you from our studio. We're coming to you from our home. I'm, I am coming from home because I am in the depths of quarantine. My dirty little outbreak monkeys went to school and caught COVID. We're all stuck at home. Vaccines seem to be holding up so far for my wife and I. Neither of us seems to have it or to be sick. No, the kids aren't sick either. They just are positive for COVID. Right. We're just enjoying some quarantine time, playing yeah. board games we haven't played before, and as in B O R E D games, board games. It, it works. It works either way. <laughs> it works either way. So, so what are we? Uh, what are we looking at this week, Dave? This week we're reading a book, and it is "Murder on the Orient Express" by Agatha Christie, hmm. which I have never read. Oh, there you go. So, you've already started, huh? I have. Well, do we want to go ahead and talk about the drink then, since you've already? It doesn't matter to me. They don't. They don't have to know what I'm drinking. They're, You've they already dived in right in, yeah. dived right in, whatever the, whatever the past tense. So what did you think of the book? Okay, have you well, read any Agatha Christie? I have never read any. You know, all I knew about Agatha Christie, Agatha Christie, excuse me, that stupid Angela Lansbury show, uh, Murder, She Wrote. That's honestly the only thing I'd ever known about. Does that have something to do with Agatha Christie? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's Agatha Christie's Murder, She Wrote. I think it's, it's. Oh, I think I it's based, so. It's based on. Oh, is she Miss Marple? Maybe she is. Yeah. So it's based on that character. Oh. So I think Agatha Christie died in like 1977 or something. So it's not. You know, it's it's just loosely based on those. You know, mysteries, kind of like the Poirot. Um, I think that's how. It mm-hmm. came, right. Yeah, I think. Poirot. Uh, yeah. Uh, there was like a PB. I remember. I think it was a BBC show, but uh, I I I know it was on PBS. I believe show so so i think what it is with murder she wrote i'm just looking at it really quick here i think angela lansbury starred in a couple of film adaptations of agatha christie okay so she sort of got the job for murder she wrote Mm -hmm. because she was you know people were used to her in that kind of show i'm not i don't think there's there is it there is a tie into magnum pi apparently on really she wrote oh that's terrible yeah apparently apparently there's a crossover yeah (laughs) crossover with magnum pi events there's something about angela lansbury i just cannot stand i I just oh i love i used to love that show but i used to watch it there's a couple of old lady shows i used to go over to my grandmother's house and we would just hang out and like that is most definitely an old lady show i can see i see i can see that and matlock i used to watch matlock i used to watch matlock golden girls murder she wrote Right. And like everything on PBS, my grandmother and I would watch. Yeah, together. That, that, that sounds about right. That, that sounds like a terrible evening to me. But that's that's uh, really well, all. <laughs> that's that's really all that. Uh, well, I mean, no offense to your grandmother, but uh, that that is all I really knew about Agatha Christie. The title of the book, "Murder on the Orient Express." I don't know. It just seems to me like one of those famous titles that you sure. have no idea where it comes from. You you don't know. Okay like what it means <laughs> you don't know uh, yeah like what, what is the orient express is. right yeah i mean like there's there's so much about it that it, it seems at the same time famous and completely famous and ubiquitous but at the same time completely anonymous so i think it's important when we're doing something so this is like you said like this is neither of us have read before and i've never read anything by agatha christie i don't have any connection to any of her work i could picture poirot because he used to be on, like you said, like some PBS show or something. I think there was a PBS or BBC show yeah, about Poirot. Right. So I have a picture of the actor in my in my mind yeah. who famously plays him. But I think I think an, an interesting thing to ask is like what? So you're, we're kind of getting at what were our preconceptions of it before right. we read it, which yeah. is what which is why I originally like why we came up with the idea of doing the biggest surprise when we started this because I think the idea was neither of us would have read any of these things, right? Which is 
we haven't been doing that. And that's kind of hard to find something that neither of us has read. But obviously, the person who's never read it before, their biggest surprise would probably be more interesting than the, like, although I, I had surprises about Raiders of the Lost Ark, of all things, which I've seen, I mean, literally more than 100 times. Sure. And there, but, but there was still background information that was surprising yeah. to me. And even some things in the film that were surprising. Mm-hmm. But I had no idea. I mean, I, I kind of knew what the Orient Express is. I think it's a trivial pursuit question. Like, where does the, the Orient Express go? Mm-hmm. So I knew it was between Paris and Istanbul. That's about it. And the rest of it was all kind of surprising to me. Should we do a synopsis? We always talk about doing a synopsis and we... So um, we there, are, is a, there is a, a, a as you mentioned, a, <clears throat> a train that goes from... Uh, Istanbul to Paris, France, on this uh, on this particular train on this particular night because the train runs daily, uh, and on this particular day and night uh, there is a little man with a perfectly egg shaped head with a mustache, uh, right, right, who is uh, who who is uh, of some sort sort of celebration. He is on the train along with a, a bunch of mysterious people. Um, turns out he is a famous investigator as we find out it doesn't say like if he's governmental employee or just some private investigator but just an investigator i think he's a private i I think think private but i think i think that carried a lot of weight at one time apparently and he seems to be like although although one thing that goes through the book is everybody is always recognizing each other and knowing more about each other than i think any realistic group of people would ever they have heard from about each other right like Right. Anyway, so he's on this this train. Uh, the train is plunging its way uh, across the continent and uh, mm-hmm. runs into a snowstorm. Uh, they wake up one morning and they are snowed in. And uh, and we're going to talk about basically every trope in the world comes. It seems to come from this book. So they're snowed in. Uh, wake up in the morning. One one of the one of the passengers is dead. Uh, Poirot becomes the uh, uh, go to investigator for the for the right thing. And, and he, he just falls. takes it on. He yeah, just takes it on like well, they friend, ask him his, to. And he... His friend is the director of the of the train line, apparently, who is who also mm-hmm. happens to be on. That is that who the, Monsieur Book is? Yeah, Monsieur Book. Yeah, is is the okay. Uh, okay is the director of the train and then um, and of the train line itself. And so he asks him to please okay. take him on and help him solve this this mystery. And so yeah, the characters they, are hard. They to have There's pursued. a lot of characters. Yes, a lot of characters. Um, like like you're saying, Monsieur Book, and I was like, you know. I, I was aware of him and the doctor because they're the two that are sort of on Poirot's side in the investigation, right. Right. talking it through and being like sort of his Mino, like to talk the discussion of, of the investigation. And they're completely free of suspicion. I realized that about three quarters of the way through the book, I was like, wait, they're just, we're not even considering that they could be murderers. Right. We have these, there's a certain group of people who are considered to be right. the suspects. You don't really suspect I guess they suspect one guy who works for the train. Yeah. Uh, uh, one one Michel. guy. Yeah, Michel. He's a yeah. conductor, right? Yeah. But everybody else is free of suspicion and the two guys that are with Poirot and Poirot himself. Of course. So I was kind of focused on there is a um, like a dramatis personae at the beginning. So you have like a list of all these people. Mm-hmm. And so I was focused on trying to remember who all of they all of them were mm-hmm. so that I could try to figure out the mystery. Um <laughs> How did you do? How did you do with figuring out the mystery? Not well. <laughs> <laughs> Not well. Yeah. Because it becomes a bit fantastic at the end. You know? Yeah, the ending is pretty fantastic. Yeah, you're, yeah, definitely. And a couple of the clues, while they weren't, for instance, there was a handkerchief with an H on it, and they're like trying to figure out whose name starts with H. And, and it, they, it, they reveal towards the end, of the, towards the end, like maybe about 80% through, they reveal that it's, the, it's a Cyrillic, yeah russian yeah and it's like of course i know that like i know but i didn't it didn't occur to me that like agatha christie would have had those kind of details in the book like i sort of underestimated the book yeah i mean because i I was like i was aware there were russians it didn't even occur to me and i I guess i guess the next thing we should do for the audience is to discuss how she goes about solving it so there's not like this isn't a detective book in a modern sense this is you know, a modern detective book was would be, you know, they they find these clues and there'll there'll be like some, you know, sneaky killer in the shadows and they have to chase this person down and eventually there'll be a gunfight or something mm-hmm. like that. In this case, uh-huh. everybody uh-huh. is very patiently interviewed. How can I put it? So very and excruciatingly interviewed, I guess. Uh, multiple repeatedly. Times, repeatedly, multiple yeah. times. 
And, uh, and, and every time they're interviewed, he, he comes a little bit closer, you know, because he asks some probing questions or whatever. And, you know, and, he, and they search the, the belongings and yada, yada, yada. So it, it is a, it is a very a much more cerebral sort of detective genre than we might be used to today. You know, it's, it's much more inviting the, the genre itself is, is much more in line with inviting the reader to try to figure out who the killer is. Yeah. And this is sort of something I question, but having them supposedly learn about things as the detective does, we allow the detective to ask the questions to enter the line of questionings and so forth. People, you know, answer the questions and so forth. And as, as they answer the question, the detective is like, Oh, okay. Now I see, now I see. And we're supposed to be going, well, what does he see? Because I know everything he knows, right? Right. I have seen everything. Right. We are privy to everything he knows, supposedly. All right. Supposedly. 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 There's a couple of things. There are some few, There's there a couple of times. There. The the HN thing, I was like, okay, that that that's a good one. That's just one I kind of underestimated the writer. I didn't, okay. I didn't, it didn't occur to me that there would be that level of detail. Okay. And then there was the one where there were the time zones. Okay, the time zone. Watched, okay. His, he had failed to change. It's like, okay, I don't know the time zones that existed in Europe in, you know, like 1934. So right. fine, fair enough. That's. But there was another one that was important, which was figuring out that in the odd-numbered cars, the lock was above the handle, and in the even-numbered cars, the lock was below the handle. And I was like, that's information I didn't have. Okay. How would I know that? Yeah, information you didn't, did not have. The, the worst one for me was... Uh, so somebody came up with like kind of made up somebody else's name and he figured out that they, that yes, they yes, must have been involved yes. because they made up a name based on. Well, Clint, don't yeah. you know the store Debenham yeah. and Freebody in London? Right, right, don't right. you know that? Everybody right. knows that story. So they, they, they made up this name that was natural and it was not, right. was it a name exclusive to, to England, like to, of a store exclusive right. to London but it had just gone out of business. Yeah. And it, was, it doesn't and it was, exist anymore. And it was all over the papers at the time, supposedly. Now I, ha I have not taken the time to go back and look at like newspapers.com to see if in fact, you know, that's complete tripe or not, but that's something that existed. Yeah. Right. But, it, but it, Did, that's something, that's something that, you know, the readership is really not privy to. And I think that was no. totally, that kind of stuff is unfair. If yeah, you're say yeah that, I agree. Like, if you're going to go with, you're going to know everything I know, and then you can solve a mystery just as well as I can, or, or our hero can. And the right. fact that you can't solve the mystery, because that's how she's designed it, means that mm -hmm. that's how wonderful our hero really is, you know? Well, maybe maybe that was a common store name in those days. I don't know. I, maybe people would have known. I don't know. Do you that, know what it, you know what it reminded gonna, me of? I'm not going to give her the, the benefit of the doubt on that one. I think that one's really stretching it. That was a little bit of a stretch. But you know, do you know what it reminded me of? A hundred percent. And I don't know if you read these when you were a kid, but uh -huh. Encyclopedia Brown. Okay. Did you ever yeah, read yeah. Encyclopedia Brown? Every single Encyclopedia Brown, I'd read the story and I'd be like, I don't know. I can't figure it out. And then I'd look at it. It would be some fact like that. Yeah. Would you be like, that's not a fact that anybody would know. <laughs> yeah. and I, I thought about it years later and I was thinking, am I supposed to be going to the encyclopedia and right. like referencing things for this right. book? Maybe I remember so. one time he figured out a mystery because the guy said that he went inside and listened to a band playing a song and Encyclopedia Brown figured out he was lying because apparently there's two songs with the same melody. So if you weren't inside, you wouldn't know what song it was. And I was like, they were songs that were so obscure. <laughs> and I was thinking, is that what kids are supposed to do? They're supposed to go use an encyclopedia and look this stuff up. I don't even know how you would look it up. Well, before I mean, the internet today, you could look things up on the internet. But. And, I, and I guess that that's kind of like a superpower of the time, right? I mean, this guy, this person would probably beat you at trivia. In a probably, party. yes. Probably so, right? Yes, because probably. They, they just probably. know all these really insane facts about all this little like weird obscura that that nobody else mm -hmm. in the world would know. It's almost like a Rain Man type functionality type of thing if you think about it. Like they're able to yeah. find all these weird disconnected points and through some strange trivium connect them right and and i think to a large degree and i think this is actually openly referenced in the book but obviously this is like 30 years after sherlock holmes and yeah. this is totally poirot is a lot like sherlock holmes mm -hmm. he's not quite as weird i think sherlock holmes is actually portrayed as 
almost being sort of like an autistic character. Yes, I agree. Like he's way more, he's almost like you said, like Rain Man. Like he's got a lot of weird habits yeah. and doesn't get he's along like a, with people he's very like a, well. He's a savant type of guy. Yeah. He's like a savant. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And he's also like pure deduction, but it's kind of the same thing. But with Sherlock Holmes, it was not so much that the facts were so obscure. It was that the, the conclusions he would draw from them always seemed to me like a stretch. And you'd be like, really? Okay, so he's got this kind of mud. You know exactly what kind of mud they have next to yeah. the docks in right. every part of London. Yeah. And then you're connecting with the fact that he must have been there at this time. And it, it always right. seemed like a little bit of a stretch, you know. Yeah, when, this, kind of, the, this kind of tweed only comes from this section of, of, right. of England. And, you know, and yeah, yeah. It, it's just, it's, it's ephemera. Right. It's like yeah. tiny little things that mean absolutely nothing to anybody else. But <clears> that's that, but that's sort of the point. Right. Right. Because I if, think so. If, if it was if it were, were things that were just like screaming out at you, what's the fun? Yeah. Now. Um, right. It's only True. fun. It's only fun if the detective can find. Yeah. He was always like, you know, deduction is you know, my powers of deduction. Um Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. And so yeah, he even says Poirot, Poirot even says the thing he paraphrases when Sherlock Holmes says the thing about like once you've eliminated everything that's impossible, then like only the possible remains. I'm right. I'm not getting that quote right either, but he says no, something very of, similar yeah, to sort it. Of, like a, I sort of get that. Like a paraphrase of it. And it, it, I, it's I'm I'm kind of curious how much the two things are connected, you know, because yeah. they seem they seem very inspired by one another. That's well, no, she, she was, she was, did you read her, kind of her background? She was a, she was a huge. I, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. She was a huge fan of Sherlock Holmes. And there are these leaps that take place that go kind of beyond what's fair <laughs> to require or request of your readers. Okay. Because, yeah. Because I agree. He, so he went, he went from like, for example, and a spoiler alert for, for, for uh, people out there. He interviews all these people and he goes from all these people on a train to, to somehow all of them are related to Armstrong. So he starts imagining this person is in this position in the household and this person is in this position in the household. And then he confronts him and says, aha, you're in this position, weren't you? And then all of them to the person, to the man was like, yeah, you got me. I was a chauffeur yeah. or yeah. Oh, you're, yes, you're right. I was a governess or something. Okay. I'm sorry, but that doesn't seem like it was set out in the rules. Like you can take, dear reader, you can make these huge assumptions, you know, like right. let, let, let's enter fantasy land and just, you know, create this fantasy of what you think it is and then just go from there. You know? Yeah, I wonder, I, I, as a reader, I wonder, am I supposed to be trying to solve this? Like, is that really what people are trying to do? Or do you just read it to enjoy the, the story? Because that's a, good, I, I, that's a good point. maybe I'm just kind of slow witted, but I can't figure this stuff out. This kind of thing. That's just not the way I don't pause enough when I'm reading. I don't, I think you'd have to, if you sat back and thought a lot about it, maybe, maybe you could figure things out. I mean, when, when I'd see somebody try to solve a Rubik's cube, I'd always be like, that's impossible. Like, <laughs> I, I'm, I don't know. I, I think yeah. I'm just not very smart because like to me, I, I would play with the Rubik's cube for like two minutes and it'd be like, forget this. I'm taking the stickers <laughs> off and replacing right. them. like right. that. So maybe there's yeah. people out there that read this and they were like, oh yeah, this is the priest. Of course, this is what. Uh, huh. I, I was comparing everybody to myself and elevating my own intelligence quite a bit, but I would say this is probably early you know, detective genre. I, I, I haven't. Read a lot yeah. other than Sherlock Holmes, but Sherlock Holmes does it. So at the end of, he sort of chases people every now and then. And, but a lot of it is just really breaking down evidence and, and figuring out, mm -hmm. you know, what happened and so forth. And, and at the very end, there's this kind of synopsis where he ties everything th thing together, sort of like this. There was another, maybe it'll be canceled. I don't know. But uh, do you remember Charlie Chan? Charlie yes. And mysteries. I've never seen anything about Charlie Chan, but yeah, I'm aware that that exists. So Charlie Chan was a detective in Chinatown in Hawaii in like the 1920s yeah. and 30s, right? Mm. And I looked it up just to just to be sure. And the first Charlie Chan mystery came out in 1919, a full what de well over decade and a half uh, before this one. Hmm. It was the exact same thing, you know. So all the stuff would stuff would happen. It was very cerebral. It wasn't a lot of. You know, it wasn't like Magnum PI. It wasn't chasing anybody around the island of Hawaii. Things would happen, and at the end, he would say, you know, follow the clues and stuff. But at the very end of every movie, 
Charlie Chan uh-huh. would solve the mystery. And it would be sure. the exact same thing. You know, there's this yeah. one killer and this is who the killer is. And this is, ha- you know, and what was always funny, the killer was always so docile about it. Yeah. You know I did, what I was I thinking? I did kill this person because of this reason. Take me away. I was thinking that when, when this one gets solved, I was thinking, okay, so there's, there's uh, Poirot and his two buddies. And they've just accused like 12 people of being the murderers. Yeah. And I'm like, that's not, you're not safe. Like, <laughs> are, don't, aren't you worried? Like, I was what thinking is, the exact you know, same thing. You know, it's like, you're hugely outnumbered. Like, what, what are you doing? Yeah, I, was, I guess the only way to resolve that is that they're in the middle of a snowstorm. So what can they do? Kill the guy who knows that they killed somebody, I guess. Yeah, but where are they going to go? Well, he sort of he sort of solves that problem for them, I guess, by his uh, his resolution, which is actually up there for one of my biggest surprises. I actually actually had to go back and check and see. Well, wait a minute, what was his first solution? I was like, oh, okay. The diagram of the train, mm-hmm. you know, there's a diagram of the train in the yes, book, and I was so right. that so that made me almost feel like it was to be treated like one of those logic games, the logic puzzles or something. And this is totally not like a logic game no. you cannot rule out all no. of the possible people so there's no way that it works that way so well, and and one of the problems is it, it's not a logic game because in any game okay if, it, if this is like a mystery game like a mystery card game there would be guidelines and you would know where the boundaries are you would know okay what right. can i think about to help solve this can i go into fantasy can i go into conspiracy theory there are no rules or guidelines for this which i guess you know, you could argue, well, you know, she's trying to make it, but things like, you know, obscure store names, which right. again, I'm, I'm suspicious that that's even actually a real store name. If it's not a real store name, I mean, that's just completely yeah, yeah. out of bounds. I would think. Ridiculous, right. We need it. But I, I do know, I, I do know that for instance, there was a, there was a comment about her writing. There was another writer who had put together some rules for detective fiction uh-huh. And a lot of them were things like that, that you couldn't fabricate things um, that would be part of the plot. For instance, like she, she studied poisons. She knew poisons really well in real life right. and only used real, like non-fictional poisons in her stories because that would have been outside the rules, you know, okay. trying to figure it out. But all the same, I, I just don't see how people could figure it out. I, I don't really... Maybe we're just supposed to be astounded by Poirot's abilities. I don't, I don't know. I just I enjoy the I- story. I think that might be it. You know, we're, we're supposed to think that, you know, he's a, because everybody else thinks of him as this brilliant, you know, investigator. Well, I mean, the people uh, who know him do, right? I mean, he, he had right. just come off solving apparently like a global crisis at the time, right? Yeah. He, he had just been in, well, in, in Istanbul and he had helped the French minister of whatever solve some type of international crisis. Yeah, this is definitely not the, for, the first Poirot novel anyway. So I don't know whether they're referring right. to an actual book when they talk about that incident right? or not. Um, but there's 33 books about this character. Right. And I don't know where this one stands in the canon of books about him, but, but it's definitely not the first one. The first one is a different one. What is it? The Mysterious Affair at Styles is the first Poirot novel. Okay. So you know what it reminded me of? It's it's I mean it's silly to even say it, but it's Clue. It's yeah. totally like Clue. It's like the movie. Clue. Yes, no, you're absolutely right. It is. It's yeah. like it's like the game Clue. But see, the game Clue is like what you're saying. There are rules, and you really can deduce who the killer was. I think you could win the game faster if you made a guess. But you're supposed to deduce. You're actually supposed to eliminate suspects and things like that. There's no creativity right. with figuring out who did it. Um, but then in the movie. It ends up being more like, I guess this is a spoiler from another, you know, 35 year old movie, but like at the, the, the best solution, I think is the last one where mm-hmm. it turns out everybody was involved in killing Mr. Body, mm-hmm. which has got to be a parody of what happens in murder on the Orient Express, or at least a callback to it. Right. Because it's the same, it's the same solution. There's no way you could have actually figured it out. Everybody was in on it except Mr. Green. I was definitely thinking about that when I saw that. I mean, that's gotta be. Well, I think I, I think, think that's that's a conscious nod to Agatha Christie. I think the, the clue game. So, oh, by the way, I just looked it up, and Debenham and Freebody was a uh, department store in, in on Wigmore Street, London. There you go. So, so somebody of that time period might have been aware of that store. Yes, I think it. 
she probably i don't know how much she planned to write for the rest of the world yeah when she wrote her books i think it was if it was just written for probably mostly people living around london when she wrote it yeah. and the the audience ended up being huge did you read some of the the numbers about like the the publishing numbers for her my gosh like a hundred million in just like for for one one of the novels like a hundred million or something the biggest selling novelist of all time yeah when she died right um, i don't that i'm guessing jk rowling might have passed that by now she's the the most translated author of all time translated into like a hundred different languages and i was wondering why what is it about what would what would it be about this writing maybe because it was part of the empire and so it just spread all over the kind of like how soccer exists everywhere around the world because of the british empire maybe it just might be one of those things that traveled with the empire or Um, even worse actually a a better example would be cricket because nobody else would ever care about cricket if but cricket's not as ubiquitous you know like cricket is cricket is popular in the subcontinent just the fact that it's played i don't know just the fact that it's played in any country outside of Britain proper. It's played in Australia and it's played in the in the Caribbean. I, yeah, there's I guess there's a few places it's where people in, play. Uh, it's played in India, Pakistan, any any British yeah. colony except yeah. here because we except here, yeah, because we wouldn't accept it. Well, we um by the time cricket got big, we had baseball already. Yeah, like they it they both kind of come out of rounders, and rounders evolved into baseball here, mm-hmm. and like essentially evolved into cricket in other parts of the of the of the empire, sort of diverged. <laughs> You know, why would you watch cricket if you have baseball? I don't yeah, really understand. Well, why, you, why would you watch cricket if you um, have anything, if you could watch paint dry? I've always <laughs> wanted to learn. I've always wanted to learn about cricket and like, and like see it. I, I, I watch a university challenge pretty regularly. Huh? And every once in a while, they'll have like a four, four questions in a row out of only like 50 questions. They'll have four questions in a row about cricket. And I just throw up my hands and just like, oh, come on. Like, <laughs> I, can't, I can't name a single. It's bad enough when it's soccer. And when it's, when it's cricket, it's even worse. I have no yeah. idea who plays. I, I can't name a single player or a single team or anything. So, I mean, that's. Like, uh, Bryson, Bill Bryson, when he writes uh, in a sunburned country, he, he says something like, now it is actually not a fact that the English invented cricket to make all other human endeavors seem exciting. That is just, right. that, he's like, that's just that's like a just slander. Out, yeah, yeah. And he's like, no, that's just like a, a peripheral outcome of it or something like that. It, it's, it's really a terrible, bo- terribly boring thing. As far as the question is why it's so popular, I think, you're, I think you might be right about the singularly English type of thing. But also I think, you know, I think it, it is fun to, it, it is kind of fun to read one of these, you know, just as a mental, you know, it's kind of like Sudoku. And if all of them are like this, where you're, you're trying to like solve the puzzle, uh, and yeah. especially if you're kind of in the know, I mean, we, you know, we are not of that generation. We are not right. of that demographic. So we don't have things like that, that department store. We don't have that kind of like tacit knowledge or the, you know. Right. The, that would be time. impossible if you ask me. Yeah. Or the time zone, stuff like that. Oh, wait a minute. There's, wait a minute. Debenham still exists. I've been to Debenhams. Debenham exists. Yeah, Debenham. it's not called Debenhams in Freebody anymore. It's just Debenhams. Debenhams. Uh-huh. I've right. I've definitely been there. Yeah, yeah that's still sure. a store in England. Yes. Oh my god, I did, that just dawned on me. Yeah, exactly. So that's not that's not that obscure then. That's like not right. knowing about Montgomery or something. That'd be like if a character was like, "Oh yeah, my name's Montgomery," and his real name was Ward. And so, and an yeah. American would be like, "Oh, you were thinking of Montgomery." I think oh, I think it's Ward. less obscure than what I think it's less obscure than what we were thinking. I don't know why it never occurred to me. Perhaps. There's definitely see, still a see, story that, called that, that, that actually speaks to your point about you know it, it's popular in the in the in the English zeitgeist yeah. more, more so than anywhere else and. And, but uh, I think if you were if you were English in 1934, I think you would know that you would know that fact. Perhaps I'm so, yeah. totally revising. Yeah, that's a hundred percent something you know because that's still a common yeah. store in England, or it was, or yeah. it was when I lived in England, which is like, geez, 20, 20 years ago now. Yeah. So, but back then they had it. So really, you were only um, five years old when you lived in England. Oh, that was. Oh, I was like, uh, what are you? Yeah, thank uh, you. Yeah. Well, you know that that Sherlock Holmes is the same was probably popular for the same reason because it was a mental puzzle that you had to kind of right. put together. And, and I think the point is you can never do it as well as the hero. You can never do it as well as Sherlock Holmes sure. because he was such a genius. And Poirot is, is supposed to be yeah. her, her genius, right? If you, were able so, to, if you were able to solve it, I think it's kind of a fail on her part. I've noticed that sometimes some of these kind of puzzles – there's a 
there's like a rhythm to them. And once you do them a few times, you realize, oh, okay, if I get a sense of like, well, that's true. like every yeah. now and then I'll get into doing crossword puzzles for a couple yeah. of months. And when I start doing crossword puzzles, I'm always like, man, these are impossible. Yeah. But then once you do 10 or 12 of them, you start to be like, oh no, this is the kind of words they're looking for here. And right. you just learn to see through the way they write the clues so the pat- and all this pattern solving more than yeah, pattern solving and just, and just kind of their idiom for like how they ask questions and stuff like that. So I think maybe if you read a bunch of these and if you were a contemporary, because we're definitely handicapped by being how right. many years late, 80, 90 mm-hmm. years later, um, I think the word maybe it would be more possible. I think the word might be impaired. I don't think you say handicapped. I think you're supposed to say impaired, not handicapped. Oh, yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, Perhaps that's true. Why is this one so popular? Um, I don't know. Order on the Orient Express. I swear, you know, I never read this before in my life. First time I ever read it. But mm-hmm. it seemed like growing up in the 70s and 80s, I heard it all the time. I think, I think Bugs Bunny probably references it. You know, I think there's like references. Mm. In, in culture all over the place. Yeah, I think so. There's a film. Too. There's I, multiple I films. Right. Do it, did like Humphrey Bogart star in one of them? Or is that like the multi- Somebody said that. When like I, that well, there's so, yeah, the Big Sleep or the Maltese Falcon would be sort of similar, but there's an Albert Finney movie from the 70s or I think it's in the 70s. And then there's a recent film not too long ago. I, somebody did mention there being a Humphrey Bogart movie. Was that you, though? Maybe That, that might have been you. There's a German adaptation a film from 1955, but 1974 is the big one, the, the one with Albert Finney. Well, maybe 1974, that, we should have covered that. I mean, that's our, that's our year. Yeah, Everything we say, do maybe, is from... Maybe that's, why, maybe that's why growing up in the 70s, you always heard about it or something. But it just seemed like... Mm-hmm. Aha, I remember you said... You mentioned Angela Lansbury. I remember a Magnum P.I., version of this every now and then magnum Magnum would do these weird things where he'd like have flashbacks and like he'd be dreaming or something and like they suddenly they'd be in the 1920s and (laughs) something weird i think one of the reasons why this one is popular is this is a really good set for mm -hmm. a a mystery the the train Mm -hmm. and like the being locked in the snow and everything like that it it does paint a big picture and it sets off the people in the story and it's just memorable like the yeah. setting of the of the story is very memorable to me. Um, I like. I think trains are are kind of neat. There's just something kind of cool yeah. about the idea of trains. Uh, have you ever been on a long train trip? No. Well, no, no. I actually, I, I think the only really train trip I've been is from um, New York to Philadelphia, but it, it was like three hours. Okay. Like that. And it wasn't too long. But yeah, I've gone. I've gone up and down the East Coast to various places. Yeah. In fact, I think I took a train once to Florida. That's huh. a long ways, but. You know, there's you something kind of neat about it. I don't. You know, Amtrak. There's an Amtrak stop in really weird Deming, New Mexico, of all places, and El Paso, Texas. Huh. And then from El Paso, there is one in El Paso. Yeah, uh, but also Deming. It stops in Deming. You 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 almost won't believe this, but my mom had a phobia of flying. Oh, wow. So when we moved out here to New Mexico, she took my dad and she made him ride the train all the way from D.C to have us pick them up in El Paso. Wow. So they rode the train to El Paso. They were on the train for like, it must have been like three days. Yeah. They went through, I think they stopped in New Orleans. They went through San Antonio. Like, I think it was, I would see, do it that. sounds kind of cool, right? I would do that. Some, something about it yeah. is neat. I was thinking, did you see um, The Hateful Eight? Have you seen that movie? Yes. Okay. Yes. Very similar. Very similar. Yeah, how yeah, he sets them in the snow. The yeah, snow. They're, they're in a cabin in, in the snow, right? So all you have to have is some, yeah. something snowed in. Right. Or, or right. anything isolated. It could be a boat in the middle of the ocean. It's the same thing. It's Lifeboat. The, same thing. the Hitchcock, the Hitchcock movie Lifeboat is, yeah. is similar. Or, Everybody's or, stuck or, in. Boat. Or a cruise ship, you know, a cruise ship in the middle of the ocean. And, and the point is uh-huh. nobody can leave. Nobody can get, come on board. Everybody is trapped right. there. So that, that means the killer is with us and we have to figure out who, who done it type of thing. Right. I mean, um, alien. I mean, the same trope has been used kind of all over the place. I was thinking about actually Tarantino because I was thinking one uh, reservoir dogs. Most of the action of the story takes place in that one room in the warehouse where everybody's yeah, right. arguing. Right. But yes. They show what happens like during the robbery and stuff like that uh-huh. as flashbacks. But the main action is like a, like almost like a stage play. It takes place right. in one room and there's a big discussion in that, in that movie about who we can believe and who we can trust 
and like whose story we can trust and who's who we got trying to figure out. Right. And I was like, that's, that's what's going on in an Agatha Christie book. You're trying to figure out who the murderer was. Although in their case, they're trying to figure out who the cop is, yeah, who the cop is. Yeah. You know, so it's sort of like a reversal of those two yeah. things, but there's also this discussion. There was a big thing. I was kind of surprised and I don't think Sherlock Holmes would have done this. Mm-hmm. There seemed to be more of a question about like, Oh, we found this clue. And immediately Poirot is like, but that clue could have been planted. You can't just take the pieces of evidence as like facts in like an Aristotelian, like deductive method. You're like trying to figure out, are these facts true? And then he started interviewing people. And at first I was like, wow, he's just kind of swallowing everything they say, like at at face value. But then that came into question later too. So I was happier with that. But you know, I say you can't jump to conclusions, right? You can't, there's a Monsieur Bok that, uh, that, would always like, oh, that this means that he, you, know, you can't just jump to conclusions and stuff. But that's well, I mean, exactly, after all, the guy, the guy gets stabbed exactly, with a knife, so it must. That's exactly must have been an Italian, right? Yeah, exactly, yeah, because that's what they do, <laughs> knives. But that's exactly what he does. Although, I mean, I guess you can. So he guesses the way he gets everybody to to admit, and the way he figures everything out is he just guesses. Uh huh. I think that you were the the gardener. I think that you hey, were... we're way late on our drink. I just realized. Oh, okay. Oh, let's. Go I on. haven't even started. So we, what are we drinking? So Poirot, Poirot, uh, drinks oh. cream, drinks uh, cream de menthe, mm-hmm. uh, which is a digestive. Um, oh, is it? Okay. Yeah, it is. It's really fairly simple. It's just sugar, mint, and uh, really vodka. It's a neutral. It's a, yeah, it starts out as a grain alcohol and then yeah. you let it sit in mint leaves, right? That's yeah, pretty much make, it. You can make your own uh, fairly easy. And I was thinking about it like if we'd had a time, it would have been really cool to kind of make our own. But yeah, you just... We grow mint here at our house, just, so we could have done that. That would have been put, great. Put a bunch of mint and vodka, put some sugar in it. You got to strain it out, though. You got to make sure that you get all the mint out after about a week and a half or two weeks. Um, otherwise, okay. it'll kind of off flavor it. So you add sugar? It. Oh, yeah. You yeah, add I, sugar to it? Huh? Yeah. Huh. Yeah, you sure. Wait, do. but but you don't do that. You don't put the sugar in for the steeping process. You add the sugar like before you yeah, serve it, right? That's correct. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Because then so it would. Yeah. You'll, steep, you'll steep it and then you'll strain it through like a cheesecloth, and uh, once okay. it's all strained, add sugar. The green just is is dyed, so the green just has uh, some dye in it. You've got the white, either one. They're, they're mm-hmm. the exact same taste. Yeah, mine's clear. I thought I had the like decoipers or however you pronounce that, but yeah. we have Hiram Walker. Same I think my wife there. made some kind of cocktail. They're the same. Some thing. kind of cocktail with this. Unfortunately, what, what are you drinking? You're not actually drink, you're not drinking it straight. What are you drinking? So I'm drinking. I'm doing uh, drinking grasshoppers. So a grasshopper is equal parts uh, cream de menthe, cream de cocoa, and cream. You just shake it with ice, strain it out. Um, got like a coupe glass here. So that's probably that cream de menthe by itself is probably a little bit harsh. This is no, not at all. Oh. It's actually delicious. I could I actually could drink this. It tastes like. It tastes like peppermint, like sugar. It tastes like a starlight mint. This tastes like an Ozark uh, mint chocolate. And that mm. is-, is your green. Yours is green because you have green creme de menthe. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Okay. All right. Got it. I don't, I don't mind this at all. That's weird. I was not expecting this to taste good. I, I thought it would be like, what's some of the gross sweet stuff that I used to have like in college? That's just if somebody had it, like peach schnapps or something like that. But this Gold- is actually this is fun. Remember Goldschlager? I don't think I've ever actually had Goldschlager, amazingly enough. Pretty terrible. Uh, Jaeger. Pretty terrible. Jaeger I've had. Fireball is super popular. I hear people talking about it all the time. I I don't think I've ever had Fireball. Do you know where this took place? Where is the train snowed in? That's a good question. I'll give you a hint. The country doesn't exist anymore. I think, is it after Italy? Or it's before Italy? Or is it? This would be to the north... To the northeast of Italy. Okay. Maybe even more east of the northeast. It's like Yugoslavia, is it? Is it? Um, it's Yugoslavia. Yeah. Is this is Yugoslavia, Speci- specifically <laughs> in what would today be Croatia, which I thought yeah. was kind of interesting. Yeah. And they had this line where they were talking about how there wouldn't be any police on the train in Yugoslavia. And again, I was like, there must be some information I'm not privy to about right. why yeah. why no police in Yugoslavia. I don't know what that means. Can you I, imagine? I, I mean, just how different the world was. Yes. And then this is 34, right? So this is before the war. I think people would have, people would be aware of the Nazi party existing, maybe even have heard of Hitler by this time, but it it isn't on the radar in this book. Yeah. They're talking about Germans. They're not really thinking about it. They don't really, there's no comment on that. 
Well, this is this, this, this would have been like the English were rulers of the world at this point. Yeah. Well, I mean, America really was, but in Europe, the English were were the rulers of, of the, the British Empire with the stuff they took from the Ottomans after the First World War uh-huh. at this time in history was huge. Yeah. Now they weren't really capable of controlling it all as it came to pass, but I mean we're talking about we're talking about Canada, most of Africa, yeah. the, all of the Middle East, you know, I mean places like Syria, like they're coming from Aleppo, places like Syria and you've got India, you know, Lebanon, got, not Lebanon, India, specifically. you've got Iraq, you've India, got Iran, yeah, everything, yeah, right, so, I mean, Australia, yeah, big, big chunks of Asia. They own Malaysia yeah. at this time, yeah. Singapore, Hong Kong is still theirs. I mean, right. this is, it's a huge, it's a, a huge thing. It's the biggest they ever were there between and, the two wars, and but France as well, though. I mean, France also had Algeria, you know, um, yeah, France still France had a big had, empire, France at that time had too, uh, yeah. Southeast Asia. Um, Southeast Asia, yep. Um, big chunks of Africa again. Big chunks of Africa, so huge chunks yeah. of Africa. So you had the and two, the two real superpowers there. You know, Russia by that time was was communist, nineteen thirty four. Russia was, yeah. Russia was okay. because they're talking about it in the book, actually. Yeah. But you guys that sit up talking geopolitics are actually talking about Stalin and like the yeah. failed five year plan and stuff like right. that. I thought that was that was the so they mentioned that, but there's no talk about the Nazis. Not at all. And yeah. I'm like. You, we're not talking about the Nazis. That's not getting mentioned. You're talking about well, geopolitics in the 30s. I think, I think but see, the book was probably actually written in like 1932, right? She must have started writing before it got published. Well, didn't published the, Nazis, in the Nazis came to power in 34, right? It, isn't that when he became chancellor or something or whatever it was? So, he, yeah, he becomes chancellor um, after, the Reichs, after the Reichstag fire. Right. Yeah, I think it's like 34. I think it's yeah. right around the time. Right. I think it's right around the time of this book. So it would have been if you wrote it in 32, it wouldn't have been on your mind. But if you right. were, but if you actually wrote it in 34, it would have been first mm-hmm. in your mind talking about Europe. Right. So it's it's right there on the cusp of especially with a prominent German character like the major. There's there's, there's German characters, yeah. right? Because they definitely are. They're definitely talking about the Russian situation. Um, yeah. So I think by this time, people were aware how badly the Soviet Union was doing. I think if you'd been writing in 1922, people would have been like, it, it's kind of like what happened with the French Revolution. There's a couple of years where everybody's like really enamored with it. They're like, oh, this is wonderful. And then when they start killing people and chopping off heads, yeah. you're like, ooh, yeah. this isn't so wonderful. Yeah. You know? They find out the like, truth about Robespierre. Yeah, well, yeah exactly. Um, yeah, there's all this, there's all this, like, there's all these conversations in America between like Jefferson and Washington and all those guys. And they're just like, ooh, the French Revolution, this yeah. is great. And then by 1795, they're like, ooh, yeah. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe. So not only is this, it's written in a time where, you know, the, the, the English kind of rule uh, Europe, the, the stereotype. Well, well, they don't really rule Europe. They rule the world. Yeah. But Europe, they have a pretty, I, I think they almost bigger, well, they, they left the EU now, I guess. But before that, they had a bigger imprint on Europe than they did in the 1930s, yeah. I think. Because You know what else is, is, is uh, interesting is this is actually set in the throes of the Great Depression, now that I think about it. Um, it would be, wouldn't it? But again, if you were writing in 32, well, it might not have been on your, you know, it should have been on your radar already by then. 32, yeah. 32, yeah, because it really, the collapse is like 29, 30. Yeah, the stock market crash is 29, yeah. The only thing I can think of was Christie was, uh, she was an elitist. I mean, she was, a, she was aristocracy. So maybe she just didn't yeah. have that worldview at the time. Yeah, it just wasn't on her radar. Yeah. 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 She's talking I, about Americans. She's like that she's talking about like, you know, they don't care what they pay for stuff. And yes, you know, exactly, there's right. Yeah. There's and a lot it's, of, it's 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 a land of progress and and right. I mean she talked she talked about America, which is really interesting. I mean, she was very I, I knew she was British, but reading all of her glowing stuff about America kind of made me wonder, wait, is she American though? She didn't have a lot of good things to say about Italians. Or Germans. No. no, or Germans. Or English, a, actually. A lot of the characters, characters specifically don't like Americans. Yeah. A lot of the characters have like negative opinions about Americans. Um, I don't know. It kind of sounds just kind of the way that people talk about America. It was just kind of like, oh, it's a really fascinating, dynamic place. But like, man, what a bunch of slobs. Well, I was kind of like, yeah, that's pretty it, much it, what it, they to this day think of us. Like, You kind of whatever. get that from the, uh, <laughs> from the American... Uh, what was it? The the American uh, investigator who was kind of like a yeah, you know I can kind of see him as like this this uh, John Goodman type of uh, type of character, sure. big kind of fat and 
Hey everybody, big and loud and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. I <laughs> chewing see gum. That. I think it was. I think he actually was like chewing gum the whole time or something like that. Yeah, they mentioned they mentioned how he's probably a suspect because he chews gum. Right, right. And I was just like, so, I was like, okay. But I mean, it's like I mean, it's that like would an, be. It's like an American thing, right? Like you know, they chew gum. Yeah. Oh, okay, that's all they do is chew gum. Okay, whatever. You know, that's funny. Do people? I don't think people chew gum like they used to. I think when I was a kid, we used to we used to hang on to bubble gum. Like it was cigarettes in prison. Like you, even if you didn't chew it, you had it to trade to other kids for like homework and stuff. Like I would say, actually, I had a couple of candidates for it, but I think my biggest surprise was the pro- the prominent role of Americans in this book. Hmm. I was surprised by that. The whole motive for the killing takes place in America. A bunch of the characters are American. There's a lot of comments about Americans. I, I sort of expected like a like a European thing, you know. Uh, America was just not an issue in this book. And so that was, I think that might be my biggest surprise about the book other than just, I mean, I didn't know what was going to happen. In the book. I guess mine is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm always into the backstory. And so I read her backstory and, and I think mine was that she was like aristocracy. I mean, she was this, you know, upper crust kind of elite of English society. And she chose to be a crime writer, which I thought was really cool. You yeah. know, it, it's, uh, you know, um, I mean, although, you know, Doyle was, was, uh, was the same thing. He was aristocracy. You know, writer is an interesting job. On the one hand, to be a writer, you have to have the time to write. And that, that's a big commitment. You've got certain people like Charles Bukowski. Yeah, Charles Bukowski was a mailman, right? Oh, he worked in a, okay. he worked in a post office. Uh, and he's one of the most celebrated poets of the 20th century, but it was only well, and I mean, he was in his sixties, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, his liver was totally shot by the time he became kind of famous and known as a, as a, as a poet, because he was a working guy, you know, he had to work and, and then he would write when he could and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Agatha, Agatha Christie was one of those people who had the leisure time to spend and devote to writing. You know? Well, her husband, her second husband was an archaeologist and she would go on his digs with him and they had a house in Syria. Uh, I think it's, yeah, in Nimrud, which I think is Syria or maybe Northern Iraq. No, but anyway, Syria, yeah. th- they had a house to, th- that he was working out of and she had a, she had a wing, a, an extra room built where she could write. You have to have, a, you have to be a person of some kind of means to make that sort of decision. Right. So she was knighted. Right. Or she whatever you call it. Exactly. She was made a dame. She was made a dame of the British Empire. I don't know. Well, if you think if you think about you know most of the famous British writers, especially, they're all of them are pretty much upper class. I mean, from you know uh, the Bronte sisters, you know, uh, on and on and on. They're 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 all people of. That's just one example. But the point is that they are they are people that don't have to toil away at a steam engine all day long. Well, and especially one of the one of the big things is that is a lot of them are women. That's I mean, true. not many societies, not many societies. Other than, to some extent, America, but definitely Britain, are putting out tons and tons of like great female writers in these years, and it's just like they're just set aside. They have like a dad that's got money, and essentially yeah. he gets them a great education, and then that's what they do with their lives. Yeah. They write, you know. There's a lot of people like that in British history from the late I'm, 1700s. You know, I'm going to stop you real quick and just say to our viewers or our, our listeners, rather, this is how you know. That cream de menthe is a worthwhile drink because we're becoming philosophical. Okay. Did you did you understand what he was talking about when he said something about um, M. Harris, Monsieur Harris, and how Monsieur Harris was not going to show up? And he said because he'd read his Dickens. Hmm. I don't remember that. I, I had I had to Google it. It's it, in Martin Chuzzlewit. There's a fix. There's a, a imaginary character who they use. They say he's never going to show up. Whose name is is Monsieur Harris. Oh, and then, interesting. Okay. And so late in the book, that ends up, yes, I he see. actually was a made up, that he was a fictional character that, right. that, that the conspirators made up. I, ha- I had some fun. One, I, it was fun for me. I, I looked up some stuff. Like I was definitely Googling and using like my French translator and stuff like that. Like I, I had some fun with, with pausing on some of those things. But I wish I'd looked up what a Batman is. One guy mentioned that he, his job was being a Batman. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, that's a pretty cool job. Being Batman, <laughs> I don't know what that is. It's some kind of a servant, but anyway, uh, are we getting are we getting towards the end here? I think we I think are. So right, yeah, I think so. What's your verdict? You know, I'm going back and forth on this. I kind of don't see the big deal. 
I really, I gotta admit, I really mm-hmm. don't. On the one hand, as you mentioned, she was popular the world over for decades. Uh, became a you know Dame Agatha Christie was knighted as a result of her all of her work and how prolific she was as a writer. She has sold hundreds of millions of books translated into hundreds of languages. And this, this seems to be, and I don't know why, but this seems to be the murder on the Orient Express seems to be some weird kind of zeitgeisty type of, type of, type of book. I've heard of it growing up. I, I always heard of this, this novel. It's been repeated. As I said, I, I'm sure Bugs Bunny had this, you know, they made Yeah, I wouldn't put past them, yeah. Um, you know, there's all kinds of references in, in popular culture and stuff like that. I don't quite get it. I think what you're saying is you don't get this book in particular. I guess, yeah. Like, why uh, is this why, one why, out of why? all the yeah. Christie books? Yeah. Why? Why is it? And it, it, is it because it's it has a lot of those tropey types types of things where it's like you know they're in a train, they're isolated, they're by themselves, yeah. you know, stuff like that. Because the book itself, the plot, and that was probably, I guess, my big that. I said my, you know, I talked about her background, but I guess my biggest surprise is just I didn't expect it to be this kind of formulaic progression of interviews. Like every chapter was an interview of somebody. It was it was a very mundane, <laughs> you know, if that's oh. kind of progression for the story. You know, today we have we couldn't have a movie of probably a book without at least one chase scene, whether it's a foot chase or car right. chase or something, you know. Right. A little bit more action, a little bit more plot. Like I said, this is cerebral, but then again, the the it is cerebral in the sense that you you sort of also have to be on the inside, so you have to know what the investigator knows. If not, there's no way that you can get it, and which is a bit unfair because maybe I mean, there could be an argument made that you know you should be able to get it based on everything the investigator sees, not what the investigator knows. I, I did figure out that there was going to be more than one killer. I definitely had that on my radar, like most of the way through. Um, the idea of a conspiracy between all the parties, maybe somebody else might have figured that out. And then, and then, I don't know. And, then and, the, and, the, and the, again, spoiler alert, at the end, they, they all go scot-free. It's like, yeah, everybody is a killer. We, we all agreed to, to kill. Oh, okay. Well, in that case... Let's, well, just, the, let's just let's just go with the first the, the first thing, which is that there's so the know, victim the victim is singularly unsympathetic, right? right? Sure. I remember I remember thinking throughout the book, I was like, do I really care whether they catch the person that right. it's really just a completely intellectual exercise trying to catch the criminal, and, right? Yes, you know, I don't care whether I I kind of don't want yeah. the person to get caught, and that's what everybody says. All the conspirators when they're interviewed, most of them are like, "Well, I hope the guy is. I hope the guy gets away with it." You know, yeah. that guy yeah. was a jerk, and I'm like, "Yeah, he was." So she sort of takes that off the table, and that's kind of the personality of the detective, right? He's like, "I like to sit back, and all you have to do to solve a case is to sit back and think and use your little gray cells," you know, and it's sort of how the book is. Yeah. Um, so this book might just kind of represent all the rest of them. I know Death on the Nile is really famous. I don't know whether this is even considered to be the best of her novels. I didn't really look into that. I should have. Yeah. Um, it's definitely the one I think of, the title and, especially. Yeah. And something I didn't think of asking, but I just, I'm just assuming that this is representative of how her books are kind of laid out. Based on this, I'm thinking I can open up another Ag- Ag- Agatha Christie you know, book and you know, 30 or 40 pages in, somebody will be dead. And for right. the rest of the book, we'll get this kind of interview process, trying to figure mm-hmm. out what it is. Not a lot of action, you know, not a lot of drama. I, again, it's like Sudoku, which is every week, you know, you've got a different puzzle to try mm-hmm. to solve or a crossword puzzle, yeah. something like that. It's, it's like a, it's a mental exercise more than, or as well as some kind of drama or narrative. So yeah, definitely. As a, as a genre itself, I don't know what to compare it to because I, I, I've never read really anything other, you know, like this. Um, I don't think you can really compare the Sherlock Holmes to this because they're they're a lot different than this. Um, and they just, Sherlock Holmes always there. There would be like fight scenes and things yeah, like that in a Sherlock there, Holmes there, there book. Would be action. They were also written what probably 40, uh, 70 years before this, something like that. Um, mm, I don't think it's I don't think it's that far. I, I think that the Sherlock Holmes books stretched into the twentieth century. Mm-hmm. I think there. I think that his last books were like nineteen ten or something okay. like that. Yeah. So based on that. 
but and then then uh, then there's a legacy and that's the other thing that i always think about is like the legacy well, that's always the thing to consider right when we but, do these. you know when i just looked up as i said i looked up charlie chan charlie chan has the exact same formula like that was the genre so she didn't oh okay she didn't invent the genre oh, so ahead. i looked this up i i, I looked this up because we were talking about it and i think i'm changing this to being my biggest surprise okay is that the last Sherlock Holmes story appeared seven years before this book really? in 1927. Huh. Yeah. I think that's my new biggest surprise for this is that they're, they're contemporaries. There are yeah. Agatha Christie yeah. novels coming out while there are still Sherlock Holmes books coming out. That's crazy. Like that, I knew he was in the 20th century. I did not know what was going on until right? the first Charlotte study in Scarlet is uh, 1887. Yeah. And then it's, you know, for like 40 years there. So that's, I think that might be my biggest surprise because that really does surprise me. That's pretty cool. But like I said, I, like, I don't think she invented the genre. Uh, I think she became really popular. I, I'm going to say, I just, I can't toast this. I, I just, eh. are you Are you doing what we did with Mel Brooks and sort of like not testing, not toasting this, but like not necessarily putting down Agatha Christie books as a whole or? I don't even know that. I mean, I don't know. No, I'm just not toasting it. <laughs> I'm just not. All right. You know. All right. Fair I, enough. I, I think if I was going to point, if I was going to point somebody to old detective fiction, I think I'd point them to Sir Arthur Coyle. To what? I think those are to Coyle. Yeah, probably so. I was a kid and I liked them. Those are those still appeal. There's more of an, like we said, there's more of an adventure story going on there. Um, They're impossible to solve. I think, I think this, the Sudoku nature of this, I think you're right. I think these are possible to solve. Sherlock Holmes is not. It's just a fun story. And then afterwards, you're sort of like, oh, neat. That's how he came up with the conclusion. You'd never figure it out on your own. But yeah. at least not that I remember. I haven't read them in a long time. I remember when I was but, a um, kid, I remember reading um, The Hounds of Baskerville. The Hounds of the Baskervilles. I read that one, yeah. And it scared. I don't know. It was just creepy. And it scared me. Because mm-hmm. you know, yeah. I was a little kid. And, I, and, I, and, and that one still affects me. But it was not this kind of detective type of thing which is like just solve a mystery i mean this is this is murder she wrote that's exactly what i was saying is like ugh. yeah you know this is murder she wrote <laughs> yeah. i could see that there's a place in the world for things like murder she wrote i don't hate that kind of thing but you know i have i i have a little bit of the old lady in my personality so it's not that uh you know it's not that weird yeah, I was talking about uh, we were watching Fast and the Furious, and I missed a little bit of the story. And my friends were like, "How did you miss that part?" And I was like, "Well, I have to admit, I was scrapbooking while I was watching the movie, so <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I do occasionally behave like a little old lady." No, all right, so we're not toasting it. We're not toasting Murder on the Orient Express. Yeah, sorry, I can't. I just can't do it. Sorry, uh, everybody, fans. I don't know. Uh, I don't know where I would have landed personally, but since my vote doesn't really matter, but I would read another Agatha Christie book. So maybe maybe my vote would be in favor of like her as a writer because I I enjoyed the book I you know, I mean I would I, don't, I would I would try another one just to see if there's something I'm missing but yeah I don't think there is <laughs> okay I, I don't I don't think there is I don't think there's there's not a lot of demand I, I I like to be transported to the time period it's an interesting time and I think yeah, one of the but, reasons why this uh, book I think one of the things we didn't talk about is I think this book is a big hit because this is one of the first times in history where you could sort of travel across the world, across large swaths of the world safely. There's sort of a juxtaposition. There's a murder, you know, so it's not yeah. safe, but you're not exactly getting waylaid by bandits either, you know? So when, so, when, she, when she was writing this, you've got Hemingway, you've got mm-hmm. F. Scott Fitzgerald, you've mm-hmm. got uh, Faulkner, like some of the biggest names in literature sure. that, that are making these multidimensional characters that are, you know, fragile and tragic and heroic and and flawed and have all yeah. these things going on yeah, that is definitely not going on here. these no, are not no. rich characters it these is, are stock characters yeah. for the most part yeah it's, that's not what's going on here but i will cheer i will cheers you with my grasshopper my last grasshopper of the night. all right cheers to you brother. i will make a sound yeah Hey, good sound. Thank you. All right. So that's it for toasting the classics for this week. Uh, we will get back to you on what we're going to uh, be doing uh, next time, but it'll, it'll be in the outro. So Clint, your deadline is something like nine o'clock in the morning, Tuesday. Okay. Got so let it. me know. I'll, try I'll, try I'll, to get it to me before that and the drink, <laughs> if you don't mind. I will have that back to you very soon. And uh, thank you everybody for, for joining us for toasting the classics. I am Clint Lanier. This is Dave MacArthur. Peace out. Bye.
That's it for episode 31 of Toasting the Classics. For those playing along at home, get some Miller Genuine Draft for our discussion of Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing. If you'd like to get in touch, please send us an email at toastingtheclassics at gmail.com. Send us show ideas, comments, complaints, and let me know what Agatha Christie book I should try to read next. I haven't given up on her. Check out my blog at theattractivenuisance.com and follow us on Twitter at @attractivenuisance. Our music was written by Michelle MacArthur. See you next time on Toasting the Classics.